company for peanuts, peanuts, because they didn't want to hire me because I didn't have any experience. But I had all this management and business, you know, savvy kind of stuff. So anyway, long story short, I ended up um, working with another person and we organically grew a property management company here. We didn't advertise, we, you know, and unfortunately that person passed away. So here's a tip for your listeners, because uh, we were friends and we never thought that we, you know, when you're young. A great book can totally challenge your conventional thinking and change your life for good. However, some of us just don't have the luxury of time of sitting down to read a book. But there are some instances in which we do have dead time, and these are perfect times to learn. So we can learn while driving instead of jamming to the same music on the radio, or maybe at the gym. Well, now you can. Dwelling has partnered with Amazon's Audible to give you, the Dwell listeners, a free book. Yes, a free book. So all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash dwelling and download your free book. This will also be in the show notes. You can click on the link. And if you don't have a book in mind and you say, Ola, I don't actually know where to start with. Well, awesome, because I can tell you what to start with today. It's a quintessential classic. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So download Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that would basically just take your mind on a different spin. Of course, I'm always open to hear um, from our Dwell listeners. So email me at ola at dwelling.com. And then feel free to also give us a, a rating and review. This really helps us to rank better in iTunes. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got an incredible guest with us today. I've got Nancy on the phone with us today. Hey, Nancy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you so much, Ola, for having me on your show. I'm very excited to be here. Likewise, likewise. Well, let's jump right into it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, um, what you do, and actually what you've been doing lately? Okay, so I've been investing for, I don't really want to say how many years because I'll date myself, but it's been a while. Um, I started out, I, I um, was a property manager and organically grew a, a pretty good sized property management company. Uh, I'm buy and hold investor um, for a long time and, you know, have done some flips and wholesaling. So <clears throat> at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we were, we, we moved into owner financing and creating notes and that kind of thing. And so the pandemic kind of changed that for us just because people were, you know, almost losing their jobs and down payments were, you know, so we thought, mm. so we ended up sen- selling, <clears throat> we had three properties at that particular time. We just sold them, I think we had one owner finance and then two, um, you know, just retail, which we did fine. And interestingly enough, we um, got into Airbnbs over the pandemic. So we took some long-term rentals and did some analysis and it just kind of happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is very lucrative. And for whatever, you know, people are traveling, they don't want to stay in a hotel so we've been uh, focusing on Airbnb. We actually sold a couple of our rentals in 1031 exchange and bought a couple more properties, a higher end that we could do Airbnb. Um, and I do a lot of um, talking and, and mentoring people that they just, I think what I specialize in is a lot of different things, but one of them is getting creative with strategies and pivoting and kind of reading the market to say, you know what, probably not the best time right now to be a landlord. And I had written this whole, you know, the three pillars of being a landlord right before the pandemic. 
And it's like, oh, well, no one really wanted to be a landlord because there was all the eviction moratoriums and tenants didn't have to pay rent. So it's like, huh, that's probably not a best time to be promoting being a landlord. So, um, but I think it's very interesting, like what the pandemic has given us, you know, in terms of being real estate investors. I know you're in Houston, I'm in Dallas, hugely competitive markets. Um, a lot of investors, I never really focused on foreclosures. Uh, I'm a pre-probate gal, which, you know, no matter what's happening in the world, you can usually get leads that way. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of investors kind of got stuck because they didn't have multiple marketing streams. They didn't uh, really know how to read the market. And um, some of them struggled. And I'm not saying I didn't have my struggles. You know, you have to kind of stop when something's not working and go, okay, well, you know, being a wholesaler right now is probably not, it's really tough to be a wholesaler. You've got to get that deal so low so that you can make money. So, so right now we're focusing, we still have rentals. Uh, we still uh, do owner financing and Airbnb has been my latest venture. I was taking so many notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, now, you, and you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, we were talking about being in that book together. Yeah. So uh, I also teach people how to invest with their self-directed IRA. And I specialize in like, there's a lot of people out there that have less than $50,000 and it's just sitting there in a custodial account, not earning money. They're paying fees on it. Uh, so my, most famous deal probably that landed me in that book was, you know, buying a property here in the historic district of Fort Worth, you know, for $5,000, owner financing it for 50 with 20% down. Um, you know, and that's kind of propelled me into really figuring out how you can use multiple, you know, from a private money lending standpoint. So many people want to put their 10, 15, $20,000 to work. And there is a way you can you know, combine not the funds, but you can uh, combine the account holders. They're all in first lien position. You know, it's way more, um, it's not a hard strategy. It's just a lot of paperwork and a lot of uh, steps that you have to understand so that you don't, you know, get the, your lenders in. But I use a lot of private money lenders uh, that have small dollar IRAs and I put them together and buy deals and do owner finance with it. And so that's a, a really good strategy. So so for those that didn't catch that, um, Nancy and I were actually in a book that was published by Bigger Pockets. Some of my listenership might not even know about this, um, but I, I was featured in that book and Nancy was also featured in that book. I tend to be somewhat bashful and not draw attention to myself, but yeah. Oh, when this... <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a shout out because it was a really good story. So I'm going to give, <laughs> I'm going to give a plug saying go. If you don't know what we're talking about, go buy the book, Profit Like the Pros. <laughs> Profit Like the Pros. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm on chapter seven and you're chapter 13. Sorry, 12, my bad. 12, 12, 12. Yeah, you got to get those got, chapters right. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've got the book here, but you can't really see it because I got my virtual background up. But yeah, um, we'll probably put that in the show yeah, notes I'll, as well. Yeah, I'll see. I don't, let's see. I'll just, there we oh, go. yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And he just got his new TV show. I know we're not here to talk about Ken, but we'll give Ken some plugs. So, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So, you've done quite a bit, right? You property yes. managed um, assets, you've done some wholesaling, um, you had some rentals, um, you still have some rentals. Yes. Um, and then you were kind of just going with, with the market, right in the market, like, hey, you know, um, things are getting a bit, you know, things are changing. Let's kind of pivot into Airbnb. Um, you kind of mentioned it a little bit why you guys go into Airbnbs, but I, I want to go back um, okay. to the beginning. 
why did you kind of change from property management to buy and rental? Because I'm guessing chronologically, you started in property management, then you become an investor. Well, well, actually, I started as a landlord. I had no background. We came from Phoenix, Arizona. So I've been through, you know, a market or two change. And when Phoenix, Arizona, back in 2006, 7, 8, when the big, you know, they had the big up and then the big crash, uh, we ended up taking a leap of faith. And we we saw what the, we'd been in our regular house, you know, for eight years. And we just started looking around our neighborhood. And I was like, oh my gosh, can you believe what people are paying? And I had, I was a blood bank management consultant. Okay. I was not into real estate at all. <laughs> and um, so my husband and I, we said, you know, we have uh, this is a good way to make money. I mean, we did, we just we quit our jobs, sold our house, and moved to Texas. We just took a leap of faith because I said, you know what, we're good both idea. smart. We Texas is amazing. Anywhere, yeah, and you can get you can if you you know you can figure it out. You can get jobs anywhere. The money, you know, we weren't going to be taxed on those monies. So what happened was we moved to Texas, and I had always been interested in real estate. I just never, you know, gave it the time or didn't think I had enough money or whatever. So my first rental property, you know, I used a realtor. I just bought it off the MLS. I didn't know. And I wanted to become more knowledgeable about how to be a landlord and make it profitable. And so I actually went to work for this property management company for peanuts, peanuts, because they didn't want to hire me because I didn't have any experience. But I had all this management and business, you know, savvy kind of stuff. So anyway, long story short, I ended up um, working with another person and we organically grew a property management company here. We didn't advertise, we, you know, and unfortunately that person passed away. So here's a tip for your listeners, because uh, we were friends and we never thought that we, you know, when you're younger, you think, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. And we never formalized it in writing. Yeah, big mistake. So just a long story, you know, I just decided it was time for me to move on. And that was about uh, 2016. And I was like, hmm. So I had all this knowledge as a board, and I, I was one of the very few property managers in Texas that was certified by the Texas Real Estate Commission to teach other people how to property manage. So I, at that time, still continued to manage my own properties um, because every time I went to go hire a property manager, I was like, yeah, you should have known that, you know? So fast forward, so then I said, okay, well, there's got to be, and we also, our portfolio, we couldn't get more money. I didn't know about creative financing strategies. And I was like, you know, we were just kept getting mortgages and I was like, okay, there has to be a better way to get properties. <clears throat> so I just started asking a ton of questions. I annoy a lot of people, um, <clears throat> but then I said, okay, well, why couldn't you, you know, I got into owner, uh, seller financing and then I did some wholesaling. Then I did some flips. And I was like, okay. And, you know, you just, I kept marketing and talking to sellers and, you know, not every deal was, you know, a home run. I mean, you know, there were a couple of deals that were definitely not home runs. I learned a lot about, you know, I would partner and I would learn, I didn't ask all the right questions when I was partnering or, you know, so there was just a lot of things that you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Exactly. But I feel like I just kept, I didn't let any setbacks stop me. I just kept moving forward, moving forward, you know, picking up my, myself by my bootstraps. And I'm very fortunate because my husband is so, you know, he's in the business with me. He's very supportive. Um, in fact, for Valentine's day, I'm going to do a thing on how husband and wives work together in real estate. So nice. <laughs> but, nice. Um, I think that the first time I said, when I got into owner financing was the deal that's in Ken's book. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, 
because I used it with my self-directed IRA. So I've been self-employed for many years and, you know, probably I don't have, I, you know, who feels like they have enough money, right? So I felt like I didn't have enough money in my retirement. And so when I, I kept going to these lunch and learns about, you know, how to invest with your self-directed IRA and this deal literally just, you know, I had done some marketing. Um, my marketing is very simple and low budget. I mean, I've done the whole call center thing and all that. And the guy called me and he had, you know, I wasn't the first investor, but I think a lot of times sellers, when they connect with you, um, you're going to do, it's like that old saying, you know, they're going to do business with who they like, know, and trust. And we just had a great conversation. The house had been vacant for five years. The city was getting ready to turn it down. And that was just such an eye opener. And then from that, that opened a lot of doors because then I started speaking about how to do deals with your self-directed IRA. IRA. You know, I think when people get into real estate, they don't understand that there's, you know, you've got to have certain skills. Um, you know, I'll talk to people and they'll, you know, um, like I teach people just like cold calling. And it's not just about dialing that number. It's about a whole mindset. You know, you, a lot of people are nervous about it because, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, they're not very savvy at doing it. Um, so along the way, I became a mentor, a coach, an educator, a speaker, just because of my experiences. And I think, you know, for your listeners, anybody who's like struggling, that's part of the game of being a real estate investor. If you're not struggling, uh, you know, you're, you're very fortunate, <laughs> but you're I not, think all you're of not, us, you're not, you're not have, doing it right. Yeah. You're not doing exactly. it right. If you're not <laughs> or I feel like if you're doing the same, you know, I think when you branch out, so gurus teach, you know, 20 different strategies. And I think, you know, people get, like they just get discombobulated, right? And so really what I tell people is you got to learn one strategy and do it well, and then you move on. And that's how I feel my journey's been. You know, like I'm a, you know, very knowledgeable about uh, property management, getting a tenant out. And I have to say through the eviction moratorium, I never had a tenant that didn't pay. And I chalk that up to my tenant screening from the very beginning, because I tell landlords, if you don't get the tenant in there, right? Forget about it. You know, you can buy the property, right? You can, you know, have it be beautiful. But if you skip that step of doing proper tenant screening, you're going to have a problem where we're, whether we're in a pandemic or not, they're going to, you know, tear up your place, not pay, uh, just kind of be a pain, right? So I think if you look at the journey I've been on, I think a lot of people could follow it just because one, I looked at, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to master property management. That's exactly what I did. And by doing that, I honed and developed my skills so that I, you know, I spoke with owners, I spoke with sellers, I spoke with tenants and think about those three different groups, you know, and how, what approach you need to take to problem solve, um, Years ago, years ago, I used to um, run a Section 8 program in Johnson County, Kansas. And at that time, that was when it had just started. You know, it was kind of the new thing the government was doing not to have public housing, but people had certificates. And from that position, that role, I, you know, I had to work with tenants that were on our program, you know, developing waiting lists and the process and documentation. So to this day, I used um, a date stamp and you go, go to the store. It's like, I don't know, $4. And to this day, I still use a date stamp when I'm working with my tenants, when I'm, when I want to document something, because you never know, like whether a seller comes back, a landlord comes back. A title, whatever it is, 
you know, that date of when that transaction occurred or that piece of paper was received is so important. And it's just a habit I got into um, way back when, when I ran that program. So I think communication is key and just move forward and keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. So Nancy, um, let's talk about some of your Airbnbs, right? If I'm a listener okay. and I'm talking, I'm, I'm listening to this, um, to, to, to you and I discuss this strategy, what do I need to do to get started? And maybe give us a story of one of your Airbnbs. How did you find the okay. deal? How did you fund it? And how is that deal going? Okay. So uh, we had been looking for a little lake house for our family and I just, we, you know, it's something that um, you know, I'm getting ready to have my first grandbaby and, you know, and just something that, you know, like could be a family thing. I grew up on a, on a lake with boating and all that. So my husband and I, um, we live in, uh, the Dallas, Texas area. So there's a Lake Cranberry is about 90 minutes because we, it had to have certain parameters. It had to be, you know, within driving distance. So you get there, have a nice weekend or whatever. And a lot of, so number one, location, because when we were looking for an Airbnb, what I did is I'm a real estate broker. So I did my search on and whatnot. Um, the location, I didn't really know if I was going to Airbnb it at that particular time, because this was about two and a half years ago. So we looked at location, but HOA. So number one, we kept calling these areas. And so if you do not buy an, an Airbnb and an HOA, because even if they allow it today, they can change that. So that was kind of priority one. Number two was the location. Like what would attract people? Uh, I just met with somebody that they did a, um, they called me up about a place in Winters, Texas. I didn't even know where that was. And I had to look it up. And we actually did um, a, a session where we went through and does this make sense? And he had it under contract. And not only would it not make a good Airbnb, it wasn't even a good investment property. So then what you do is you go in and you see, so location, no HOA, then you've got to see, well, what, what can I charge for the rent, you know? Um, and so I have two tools that I use. So Bigger Pockets, shout out for their um, tools, because it can take you, you know, for buying it, but also you can, there's a link that goes right to AirDNA, right? So I use AirDNA and I use the free version. I don't pay for it. And then you can go in there and you can say, okay, you can type in any property pretty much in the United States. And it will tell you based on the number of bedrooms and people, what your nightly rate, what your vacancy rate, what your cap rate is. So that was one of my tools I used. But another tool I used was I went on Airbnb as a guest. And I looked at the area that I wanted to invest in to see what my competition was. You know, so if there's and what they were charging, because if air if air DNA says three hundred dollars a night, but then you go to Airbnb as a guest. And when you do your search, do multiple days, because if I did it, let's say over spring break, not all the Airbnbs are going to show up. So you want to get as many to show up. So I usually go, you know, six months, but I do different seasons depending on where I'm looking at. So then you could you have two numbers. You have one, the air DNA number that says, okay, you could charge this much, but then you have the reality of what people are actually getting on Airbnb. Airbnb. <clears throat> so once you do all that, you've identified your property. Now I'm partial and it's my own personal investment strategy. I buy three bedroom, two baths or four bedroom, two baths. I don't, you know, the higher end homes are just, that's not my investing strategy. 
And most people, <clears throat> whether you're doing long-term, because I also, okay, the other part, let me back up. <clears throat> I didn't want to just buy property that could only be <clears throat> an Airbnb. It had to have, because when I buy properties, they always have to have two separate exit strategies. Number one, what if the market, like right now, Airbnb is hot. It's, you know, everybody's getting into it. If the market gets saturated and I now can't carry that as an Airbnb, I want the strategy of long-term rental, owner finance. So that would be another way I would look at. So now you've done all your numbers. You've identified a property. You can, you should also look at the population. Um, you know, this little winter's town I was talking about only had about 2,500. Now, granted, you're not going to, you don't want to rent to locals, but you also want it to have an area where people are going to, you know, want to come, right? And, and nobody's going to come to winners, right? For Because there was no big attraction there. And even if there was an attraction, you know, like maybe they had a big medical center. If they had a med medical center, that'd probably be okay. But if they only had one traction that was only open, let's say for the summer, what are you going to do the rest of the nine months? So you have to think about the carrying costs and all that. So once you've got the property, then it's about, you know, getting it, getting it furnished. And, you know, I would say it cost us. So we, we found this property. We kept going to this area, this Lake Granberry area. And everything that we found was either, you know, 500000 and still needed $200,000 worth of work. And this was before the market went crazy. Or it just wasn't, you know, this, it was, it, Granberry sits up on a hill, uh, on like cliffs and, you know, too many stairs, just whatever reason. So my husband and I ended up going out to dinner one night, one of the local restaurants, drinking some wine, talking about how can we get a property here. And the waitress came over and started talking to us and we told her. So she told us about this neighborhood that wasn't even coming up on our searches. So it wasn't. So referrals actually are a big part of my because um, I tell everybody. Here's a tip for your listeners. I tell everybody what I do and if they ever know of a house for sale or somebody that needs to get rid of their house, you know, call me. So she's like, well, go look in this neighborhood. So we went and looked in the neighborhood the next day and we actually had a, a couple of appointments to see properties. So we see this property and from the street, it looked like nothing. I mean, like you, no wonder it had almost, it had been on the market. Um, it was coming back on the market the year before it had been on the market for almost a year. And why? Because the listing agent only put one picture. She didn't say it was on the water and it just sat there. So we went and looked at it. Right. And so we got out of the car and we went around to the back and it's a little three, two, you know, no garage. It's just a little, you know, it's kind of perfect for us. And we we're like, oh my gosh, it's not on the main body, but it's on not a, it's not a canal house either, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's in an area that if there's a big drought, we'll still have water and be able to get to the lake. Um, so we were like, we had the agent meet us there. We made, a, we signed, we told them to bring the contracts. We made the offer full price right then and there, boom, got under contract. And the seller had, had had it for 15 years. And, you know, he just, I guess his wife had gotten sick. <clears throat> so we, we always do inspections. I don't care what kind of house. If I'm going to keep it, I'm always going to do an inspection. So we spent a pretty penny getting that thing up and running. Um, and then as soon as it was done, I put it on Airbnb. At first, I didn't hire a professional photographer. I just did it with my iPhone, threw it up on Airbnb, and it just started getting booked. 
So fast forward, March or February of 2000. And when do we have the big freeze? 2020? 2021. I yeah. So we had just bought the house the year before. Uh, anyway, we had done all this work, big freeze. I called our plumber that we had spent a pretty penny with to go over there and turn off the water. And they didn't. They forgot. So we had a busted pipe. Yeah. So it took from February 19th. It was February 19th. And we didn't get that thing back up and on back on Airbnb till August 3rd. But from uh, this past year, now you, you're shaking your head. So there's some good and bad to this. It was very annoying because you're in the pandemic. There's su supplies and stuff started really going up. Contractors were an issue. But here's another tip. Make sure you have really good insurance. There's only about, I think, six insurance carriers that do actually Airbnb. Your normal landlord policy is not the same as a, um, you need to make sure that your insurance agent does do Airbnb short-term rentals. Anyway, we had that in place and we, we were able to claim the loss of rent. Yay. Fantastic. And Fantastic. We also hired, yeah, we, we also knew because of the magnitude of just what everybody went through, um, we hired a public adjuster to work with the insurance company because literally February 19th, the, uh, I was at the property. Um, it, it was a disaster. Um, I called the insurance company, you know, filed a claim right away. They called me a few days later and wanted to do a video and pay me out $5,000. I was like, yeah, that is not going to happen. So we got a, a public adjuster involved and, um, um, and we were able like the AC unit. So this was an older house that had ductwork under the house. It was a pure and beam home and it got mold in it because water got down there, you know, so we got a new AC unit. So we got some things as an upgrade because of it. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. It was annoying. And now we put that thing, like I said, August 3rd. So since then we've done two other properties and um, so what I look for, and they're not on the water, but they have, so one little house is close to the historic uh, district down there. So we're like, okay, well, it's just a little, you know, no HOAs. None of these are in HOAs. So we put a hot tub there and you make that. And then the other tip is to be pet friendly. I know a lot of people are like, don't really like that, but you know, I travel with my pets and now I only allow dogs. Uh, I have a maximum two dogs. And I only charge like a $200 um, pet fee per stay. Um, and then my house rules. So when you start advertising your properties, you, you unfortunately, like long-term rentals, you can't charge, you know, a big security deposit. People are just going to pass on your property. So make sure you have good insurance, you know, for vandalism. And so we've been uh, doing Air Airbnb steadily for over a year now, and it's just been a great revenue source. Like I just, I'm just amazed at how much more money that I've made on short-term rentals than I ever did, you know, uh, financially in terms of the um, amount of money that you can make versus a long rental. Now on each of these properties that we're doing Airbnb on, um, if I wanted to, I could do owner finance or long-term rental, because as everyone knows, housing is at a premium right now. Um, and that could be, you know, I could sell them outright. I wouldn't do that because, you know, I, I, and I did two 1031s to avoid the capital gains tax. Um, so that's kind of how it was the referral. And then the other two, the other cool thing that we did when we sold, we had rental properties that we had held on to forever here up in the DFW area. And you can imagine the appreciation was just 
it, it, they more than doubled, right? So we decided to cash those out through 1031 and we went and bought a couple higher end properties um, and I bought them right off of the MLS because with an Airbnb, it used to, I'm still buying it right and I'm not paying crazy amounts over, like I'm not paying 10, 15,000. Um, you know, I'm still buying them, but I'm, I'm, I don't have to worry about, you know, 70% uh, of ARB because I'm looking for turnkey, especially right now with the, you know, contractors and supplies, it's almost better if you can do that and start doing an Airbnb. So I bought them right off of the MLS. All I had to do was furnish them. Boom. I get them back up and running. And so you can, you know, purchase a home, get it up and running. And if you're really like, you know, you can get it up and done in two weeks, two, three weeks. Wow. You know, with photography. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. So, so the last two, um, one just went live just a couple days ago. So um, don't have any numbers for that one, but the other one went live. Um, I think as uh, soon as I put it up and again, now, since then I have professional um, photography, but I wanted to get it up and running, right? I wanted to get it up and running. So I threw it up on Airbnb. It's actually quite simple to manage your properties you can buy apps that, you know, coordinate all the calendars. And so far, what I've found is most people come right from 90% of the bookings come right from Airbnb. And then um, we were able to automate some of the messages, um, you know, just talking to the guests. And then we have certain rules, like one, you have to have a verified, you, I don't take newbies because I'm, I feel like I'm kind of new into the Airbnb. So I'm, you know, and I've heard horror stories. There's lots of great Facebook pages out there that you can learn from the horror stories, you know. <laughs> Interesting. But so if somebody was looking to get into Airbnb, I'd say, number one, what's the location? And are you going to manage it yourself or are you going to, you know, have it remote? Because, you know, like the Smoky Mountains, that was a place I really wanted to invest in. Um but they have a lot of HOA, so you got to be careful. And I'm not that familiar. I haven't even been there. So I was like, okay, that's probably not a smart move on my part. Um, but the HOAs, you know, as more regulations, like even in Dallas County, they're having, um, you know, they've done some regulations about you can do short-term rentals, but they have to be 30 days or longer. Well, that's almost like being a, a rental. And I'll, I'll just give another example. Yeah. yeah, I actually live in Frisco, Texas. My HOA... Uh, last month had a meeting and they were going to talk about, you know, short-term rentals in our neighborhood. <clears throat> so I wasn't able to go to the meeting. And so I, you know, they ended up passing a regulation that you cannot have short-term rentals. They have to be six months or longer. And so the other day I got a letter from my HOA saying, you know, you're in violation of doing a uh, short-term rental. This is my personal home and I don't rent out any room. I don't do any kind of short-term rental in my personal home. So I, I got right in touch with them. I was like, well, and they said they had it from their inspection. So I wrote right back to them, you know, and said, what, what was this? What did they find? And of course they didn't, you know, it's a courtesy, but you actually said that I was in violation. So just be careful. And HOAs are kind of one of those, I don't know, it's like tight underwear, you know, it really can bother you. <laughs> Well, Nancy, we can keep going on and on, but we're definitely, definitely dwelling into the quick rounds. These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, ma'am? Okay. First question, what makes you, Nancy, unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next girl or the next guy? I think because I'm very straightforward and direct and you either like me or you don't. And I just tell it like it is. 
I love it. Second question, what was the last book that you read and what was the one thing that you picked up from that book? So I'm actually reading um, Brendan Burchard's uh, Millionaire, Millionaire Messenger. And he has a very no-nonsense, straightforward way of marketing. And so I'm learning uh, really some good about increasing your followers and, and just taking imperfect action. Interesting. There's an, if you're into that right now, there's a guy called Brendan Kane. Um, okay. Brendan Kane. Check him out on Instagram. Is um, I think his book is How to Get a Million Followers in 30 Days. Um, and then okay, it's kind of a book, right. book called Is it C-A-N-E or K-A-N-E? K-A-N-E. And his first name is Brendan. Is a really good one. So if you're into that kind of like social media marketing right now, yeah, that's a good one. Um, final okay. question. You're busy with your, you know, your short-term rentals. Um, you're doing a bunch of stuff, spending time with your, you know, your husband as well. What do you do for fun these days? So uh, I'm expecting my first grandchild. So I've been helping my daughter prepare, and I'm so looking forward to meeting my um, grandson. So I'm just uh, I, I love spending time, and so I've been trying to spend as much time with my daughter before you know our roles change. Where I'm a I'm not a grandma, I'm Nana, and she becomes a mother. And it's been an interesting journey, you know, with her. Um, she's my only child and you know she's just so I, I spend time with her and I've been loving watching her grow in this new role literally grow <laughs> oh that's so sweet yeah my our baby she was she's probably like she's like 19 or 20 months now and so I can yeah I, I can relate yeah we've got two two babies yeah so that yeah enjoy that it's amazing it's amazing so um, before we kind of go into the end of, the, of our conversation here, your two books, Winning Deals and Eels, let me ask you this. And also you have a course, The Capital Blueprint Project. Um, just kind of give us briefly a little bit about those, those projects, um, your book and, and obviously your, your course, and then just wrap up with how people can um, find you and get connected with you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so Winning Deals and Heels, um, really I wanted to get a message out to women uh, in real estate investing, you'll if you go to a lot of seminars and things, there's very few women on the stage. There are a ton of successful real estate investing women. I just don't know if they don't like getting talked. Also, I work specifically with women because there's a lot of women who, you know, they have always wanted to get into real estate, but maybe they didn't have a supportive partner. They were busy raising their kids, you know, doing their career. And so now they're at a point in their life where they think they're too old. You know, and you're never too old because I was not a spring chicken. The let me ask you this came from that whole thing I was talking about earlier about, you know, when you get stuck and you can't, where do you get the money? How do you do the deals? And I literally was annoying everybody because I was like, well, how do you do this? And, how do, and I'm, a, I'm the kind of person like, if you tell me you can't do it, I'll say, well, why? Or, well, what can we think of a solution? So that's where that book came from. And then the Capital Blueprint Project, actually what that ended up turning into be was my accountability project. Because it seems like the number one thing that all real estate investors need is accountability in their life. And, you know, I've hired uh, mentors and coaches through my journey because you, you can watch videos, you can, you know, read books, but when it comes to practical experience, you've got to get into the game. But sometimes people are afraid because they don't want to lose all their money. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, just for an example, I talked to a young lady um, a couple of weeks ago and she had paid a, a thousands of dollars um, 
for this real estate course. And the thing is, she didn't even know how to analyze a property. Cause I was like, well, what do they teach you? So I believe people need step-by-step -step and hand-holding. That's what I had when I bought that first property. I was so nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. I did, you know, and I literally had someone that took me by the hand, you know, showed me the ropes and it was step-by-step. So that's how I like to work with people is I think people, they want to do it. They just need someone to hold them accountable and hold their hand. And to get a hold of me, so I'm gonna ask your viewers this, because I'm my goal of getting 500 subscribers on YouTube by March is really important to me. So my name, Nancy Wallace Lobs, that's L-A-A, B is in boy, S is in Sam. So go to the, if they like what they're hearing, go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, my email address is nancy at K bnhomes.com and have a website under my name as well. I'm on Instagram, Nancy Wallace Lobs. If you just get Nancy Wallace Lobs down, you're going to find me. So <laughs> we're going to put that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Nancy. Really appreciate your thank time you. today. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Likewise. Likewise. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.